This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, we turn to a perennial equity issue in public education, PTAs. Also known as PTSAs, or parent-teacher-student associations, these parent-led groups have spent decades focused primarily on fundraising. And that can create huge disparities between schools, since wealthy parents can often afford to donate money or spend time organizing fundraisers, while lower-income parents can't always find that money or time. Crosscut Associate News Editor Venice Buhayan recently dug into this problem in Seattle and met some of the people trying to solve it. Some local PTSAs, for instance, have begun pooling resources and distributing those funds between schools and their neighborhoods. But there are also those who are trying to buck even that trend and change the PTSA paradigm completely. So, Venice, you've been looking for some time into PTSAs, or parent-teacher-student associations in Seattle. And, you know, these are groups that I think most people in the U.S. who have experience in public education, either because their kids go to public schools or because they went to public schools, usually the first thing people might think of is fundraiser. This is the PTA crew, and we're here to tell you about our fundraiser. Yes. And that is kind of what your story is about in some ways, that kind of knee-jerk definition of PTSA. Um, But before we jump into all that, I was wondering if you could tell me what launched you on this reporting in the first place? What had your understanding been of the role that PTSAs play in Seattle public schools? And what were you interested in finding out? Yeah, so... That was my knee-jerk reaction as well. When I think about PTSAs or PTAs, as they're sometimes called, I think of selling chocolates or like a book sale or something like that. That's that's the first thing that comes to mind. We're selling Little Caesars pizza cards, so every time you buy a pizza... What initially got me interested was the Southeast Seattle Fundraising Alliance, which is a group of about, about a dozen, uh, give or take a few, schools in Southeast Seattle that sort of pooled their efforts together to do a big uh, move-a-thon. I'm excited about the move-a-thon because I love to exercise. Right, so they go out and they solicit they solicit donations from the community and community members, and then they have their students do uh, different activities, like they do some dancing or they walk some blocks, right? I'm excited about 12 schools in the Rainier Valley and Beacon Hill working together to fundraise. Go Square, are you excited about? Spending an hour outside. Some of these schools had not ever had a fundraiser because, you know, it's just because their PTAs are, you know, their families are busy, right? A lot of these schools are in lower income areas or Title I schools, and so their families don't have the type of resources that other families in other areas have. So I thought that that was an interesting and kind of, you know, like an interesting way to sort of like solve the problem of like, what do you do for a school where you don't have either experience with fundraising or you don't have a community that, you know, can just go out and buy a bunch of chocolates, mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to some other schools where you had families who can, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a PTSA that auctioned off a Tesla, right? Wow. <laughs> you know, t- just to kind of compare the ability of different communities. Some of these are schools where families tend to be, like, wealthier, maybe they have flexible work hours, or maybe both parents don't have to work. There's more of an ability to kind of drum up these kinds of donations and drum up this kind of effort to uh, to raise like hundreds of thousands of dollars for your PTSA. Right. 
Right. So this coalition in South East Seattle is having a sort of group fundraiser, and then they're distributing the money evenly between participating schools. Actually, so the first year that they did this, and they started this actually the pandemic year. Oh. When I talked to one of the organizers, Christina Jimenez, um, she was saying that in the first year, they ended up helping families directly who needed help because uh, during the pandemic year, there was, um, you know, people who lost jobs and, you know, that sort of thing. And so people kind of needed that direct help that way. And then the next year, it was sort of um, kind of distributed without thinking about equity. So it was kind of just split evenly because that was actually, you know, when they first started it, that was what they promised everyone. Mm -hmm. But in 2020, there was also a societal heightened awareness of of equity and racial equity, especially, you know, and that was due to the George Floyd uh, protests. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people had already been thinking about racial equity, but then this sort of like kind of brought that conversation into to a broader audience, and it was like kind of suddenly forefront in people's minds. Mm -hmm. So the Southeast Seattle Fundraising Alliance kind of started considering that in the in how they divided the money, and so mm -hmm. there's a equity component to how they divide the money now. So they divide the money up according to need. Yes, that's mm -hmm. right. The other thing that I want to mention though is that they're still not raising like Tesla money. <laughs> what they're doing is they're buying you know art supplies and copy paper, you know things that the school still needs, but they're not, like, hiring staff. Mm -hmm. So this group in South Seattle has kind of recognized the inequities between schools who have more active PTSAs versus schools who don't. And you stumbled across another group of parents or PTSA organizing happening in another neighborhood, right, in, in West Seattle? Yes, that's right. So um, in my reporting, I found the West Seattle Public School Equity Fund. Um, we're a local nonprofit that launched in April 2021 and dispersed our first round of fund shifting this school year. Yay! They've got a different approach than the Southeast Seattle group. What they're doing is all of the elementary schools in that area are teaming together, and they have looked at, uh, you know, which schools are Title I schools, which are schools that get money from the federal government uh, because a certain percentage of their families are uh, low income. And so um, they looked at, like, which schools are Title I and which schools are not Title I. And the non-Title I schools kind of pool their money together, and then a certain amount is raised, and then it gets divided among the schools that need it. The thing that's particularly unique about West Seattle and our District um, 6, is that our schools are um, pretty much like half Title I schools and half well-resourced schools divided almost exactly along um, the previous redlining zones. So they're distributing it to the Title I schools, but there's also an equity component in how they distribute it. So it's by need as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, these two examples suggest that there is, at the very least, a uh, recognition that the system as it exists, it's just not really fair. And uh, something that you unearthed in your reporting was some data around the kind of inequities we're talking about. Like you mentioned, you know, the difference between art supplies or copy paper and um, a reading specialist. Um, so, yeah, I wonder if you could talk about the kinds of things that some schools are able to get because of PTSA funding in Seattle? So the Seattle Public Schools actually has a grants list, you know, because if you want to hire a person, then you have to kind of give a grant to the Seattle Public Schools, and then mm. they can decide to accept the grant, and then they have to use it for whatever it is that the money targets. So I guess 
I want to preface this by saying, like, I didn't, I was not trying to write a story that vilified any schools for Mm -hmm. raising money to hire extra help. Previous coverage of, like, the inequities of PTSAs is that they, you tend to focus on something like, oh my gosh, this school was able to get a Tesla and mm-hmm. <laughs> and they and they raised like, you know, like over like $200,000 and, you know, and they bought everybody in the band an instrument. Yeah. You know, so it's like, let's look at these rich schools, you know, going out and raising money to buy privileges for their rich kids, right? Mm-hmm. That that's that that wanted to avoid that kind of approach. You know, folks in the West Seattle group and also the Southeast Seattle group pointed out that this is, you know, everybody's just trying to do the right thing for their kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people see a need and they are trying to, and parents are trying to fill it. So it's not like out of evil intent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to focus instead on like what the s- status quo and what the system is, right? You know, it's sort of almost like I'm not trying to hate the player. This is the game that, mm-hmm. that the parents are stuck in, right? If schools aren't providing everything that you think that your student needs, then... You know, like your options are you either have to go without or you go out and you raise the money to hire that person. So, you know, it's not like they were going out and trying to do anything wrong. Yeah. But I will go through my list and (laughs) talk about some of the things we mentioned. So um, at McGillivray Elementary School in Madison Park, it's, uh, you know, got 11% low income and it's uh, 39% students of color. They had a grant last year for like um, 126000 for a little bit more than a half-time academic intervention specialists and two tutors and the art program. And this is like, I'm, I'm getting this information from a list that the Seattle Public Schools keeps of like the major grants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At uh, Whittier Elementary School in Ballard, which is 8.3% low income and 26% students of color, they spent 75000 for a half-time reading interventionist and a half-time teacher. Salmon Bay K-8 in Ballard, they hired one full-time teacher, one part teacher, and then a, and a part-time nurse, and that was $85,000. These are, you know, just to kind of give an idea of, like, schools that are able to have these big fundraisers are, um, you know, able to bring in extra resources that, you know, that other schools don't have access to. You know, like, in some ways, this is sort of exacerbating the inequity that already exists in the individual schools. And it seems like, you know, the people you talk to, for example, in South Seattle and West Seattle who are thinking about these things and sort of trying different ways to ameliorate these problems, it's like, they, it seems like they were kind of telling you, like, they don't blame anyone for raising more money for their school. They're just saying, we're trying to sort of recognize that there's an imbalance there and we're trying to balance the scales a little bit um, in whatever way. Yeah. Well, I I will say that especially in West Seattle, other folks in the neighborhood would question the need for this because, you know, people out there who are sort of familiar with what Title I is, mm-hmm. like their reasoning is that, you know, the, the schools with the low income families, they get extra they get extra money from the government, mm-hmm. you know, and so like they should be able to get their reading specialist because they are getting, you know, they're getting more money than my kid is getting. Mm-hmm. They... Mm-hmm don't look at it as if the Title I funding is sort of filling in for what kids in wealthier areas already have access to, you know, in terms of like at home or maybe like, you know, in other parts of their lives. That, that's the sort of thing that like Title I money is, is ostensibly supposed to address. And 
a family from a another school might look at it more like, oh, well, if a Title I school gets more money per kid, and so I'm just trying to address what they see hmm. as an inequity. Ah. One of the parents said it was like, the attitude is a little bit like the Hunger Games. Like, you know, you're like all these <laughs> parents sort of fighting for a finite number of resources or the, what they see as a finite number of resources. And so it's like they're all kind of fighting each other for the same extra bit of money. Mm-hmm. But I think the questions that your reporting raises are really important ones about the whole uh, public education system. There's sort of some movements that are taking steps beyond even, it seems, what the South Seattle group and the West Seattle group are doing and saying, maybe we should rethink the whole system. Maybe we should shift the whole paradigm. Maybe PTAs, PTSAs um, shouldn't be focused on fundraising at all. Yeah. I mean, that was a question that was um, some of these groups were, were raising as well. And just looking at, like, how can a PTA and a PTSA, how can they kind of start to focus on advocacy for their students and their schools rather than spend all their energy on uh, fundraising Mm -hmm. because fundraising takes energy it takes time and for some folks it's sort of like well if you could spend some of that energy and time like at a school board meeting or down in olympia during the legislative session all right that's that might be another way to kind of like make sure everybody can get resources Mm -hmm. i mean you know it's still the parents in the most resourced areas that have the time to, who, you know, right. who have the time to like show up at a school board meeting and advocate for their school or who have the time to take a day and go down to Olympia or like write letters to their legislators. Yeah, I would say, I mean, that seems like maybe it's not a perfect solution, perhaps, but it, it sort of widens the perspective. If you have people advocating at the school board level, at the at the state level, then that's a, that's a wider angle than than necessarily an individual school. But yeah, tell me about the Take Back PTA movement. So I was speaking to um, Vivian Van Gelder, who's the vice president of the Seattle Council PTSA, and she had talked with me about a movement that she's helping to organize called the Take Back PTA movement. The Seattle Council PTSA is kind of the coalition of all of the PTSAs in the Seattle School District. So um, they've actually been working on uh, these equity issues for like a decade You know, the interesting thing about trying to get a bunch of PTSAs to cooperate is that parents tend to, the people involved tend to, like, move out of the system really Mm -hmm. quickly, right? Right. I mean, that's that's one of the things about, like, why things move slowly. Most people, you know, they move on with their kid to the next PTSA, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) To the next school and their PTSA. So that's just sort of the reality of it. So they've been working on this for like a decade. And uh, in uh, about 2019, they came up with sort of a pledge that individual PTSAs can adopt into their bylaws, you know, that they will be considering equity and thinking about putting less of a focus on fundraising and more of a focus on advocacy and uh, like parent involvement and that sort of thing. And so that's what that movement is about. I think one of the interesting things that they had said in their uh, in their pledge is that um, they are not an ATM. They mm. wanted to send that message to the schools you know, mm-hmm. and to school principals that they are not an ATM. 
on their website where they describe Take Back PTA, um, you know, they have a whole statement about like explaining what they are. And they and they call out the districts and the administrators. You know, so they say, "quote We aren't ATMs, blank checks working at the whims of districts or administrators. We are organizers, problem solvers, centers of school communities, support for families, and we are advocates for all children, for every child." And so when I asked, like, how many PTAs or PTSAs have adopted this, like, um, you know, I guess not not all of them have adopted it. And so it's like, you know, it's up to, to each group. Every organization is different, right? And so, you know, and everybody brings in their own sort of priorities and kind of like uh, what they feel they're involved in, right? What is your sense based on your reporting of how big the movement in general, whether we're speaking about Take Back PTA or the West Seattle, South Seattle efforts to achieve better equity in their PTSA fundraising? I mean, how how big do you get the sense that this movement is in Seattle public schools? I think that it's sort of like something that people are aware of, like the inequities between the the schools are something that people are aware of. But I don't get a sense that people are have figured out how to solve it. I've also heard of um, they said it was kind of too early for them to talk with me. But like I've also heard about uh, similar efforts up in like the North End that, uh, you know, are looking at inequities between the schools there as well. And so I think that it's a popular sentiment, you know, to want equity. I guess my sense of it is that the people who are aware of it are very passionate about it, but kind of the system is the way it is. And so the system kind of remains how it is. And so, like, is there like a majority opinion about how to change it or how to make it more equal? I don't know. And so, yeah, in that regard, I mean, do you get a sense of where Seattle PTSAs might go from here? Is there any... Any sort of next steps that you've heard about from any of these organizations you've spoken with? Or if we had to look into the future and look into the next school year and kind of crystal ball it, what might happen next? Well, obviously nobody can tell the future. However, something that one of the parents did tell me, that one of the supporters of this movement did tell me was that, um, ironically, the kind of rising costs for hiring staff is making more people aware of it. So, you know, your your $100,000 or your $85,000 doesn't go as far anymore. And so that is also making people aware of, like, why is it on the power of parents who can fundraise to fill in whatever it is that people see as a gap at the school, right? And, you know, when I asked folks to kind of look into the future, that was kind of the closest thing I could get to <laughs> to what the future might look like is that more people are becoming aware of it because just the costs of the system are getting high and people are starting to think, well, you know, there's got to be a better way.
Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Venice Buhayan and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Bumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docu-series we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode. And just a quick note, we're slowing things down a bit this summer to work on other projects. So start looking for new episodes in your feed every other Wednesday. See you in a couple weeks.